Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where I interview guests about their crazy, unique occupations or life experiences. I'm your host, Leslie Fear. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey, everyone. I'm joined with Christina Curran, my resident psychic medium. You know her well. She has been on my show many times. Uh, We're going to talk about the Appalachia Mountains today because I promised you an episode. So welcome to the show, Christina. Thank you so much, Leslie. You know I love your show. I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) Well, I am very happy, as you know, to to have you every single time you come on. You're so full of wisdom and you resonate with so many of the people that listen to my podcast. And I just adore you and I love hearing what you think about things. So what I have discovered, and you and I just talked about this before we started recording, I did find out some information and you actually knew this, but I'll tell my audience, the Appalachian Trail and the Appalachian Mountains and also the Smoky Mountains are all kind of intertwined together. And in the late 1800s, that area, especially West Virginia and Pennsylvania, were very heavily logged. And we're talking to where it looked like a bomb went off. And when that happens, it drove a lot of the animals away. It even drove settlers away because they had no way to grow it. It was just terrible. Um, So it looked like a bomb went off. So anyway, when things started growing back, some of the animals started coming back. And they even introduced new animals like fish or cats. Never even heard of those. And because of that, a lot of the people from generations to generations started hearing animals they weren't used to hearing. Like maybe, like I said, the fish or cat. They actually introduced those in the 60s. But also, they didn't know what coyote sounded like. They didn't really understand what a panther sounded like, or maybe even a baby deer, because baby deer sound different than the grown deer, that kind of thing. So that gives you a little bit of history to kind of go by, because not not debunking any of this stuff, but there are things, I think, in the wood that animals can make these incredible, crazy sounds And it doesn't sound like we have coyote in our property out in Bowie, in Bowie, Texas. And we have been out there at night and it sounds like a gaggle of girls just screaming. I've never heard anything like it. So I'm going to kind of hand the mic over to you, Christina. And let's talk now that we've got that out of the way. What do you think? What did your parents, your grandparents say about when you went to go visit them? Because you grew up in this area. Right. So it's very interesting. So I grew up here in the Tidewater area of Virginia, but my dad's side of the family lives, many of them live in different places of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Some live in Lexington, some live in the more rural areas, um, like towards like the hills and hollers and Anderson County. Okay. So my great grandmother, my dad's dad's mother is the one that had a farm basically in rural Kentucky. Okay. And Granny always told me to never go in the woods, A, after dark, um, B, without an adult, obviously, and especially without some sort of mode of transportation and a weapon. Wow. Yeah. Now, they were really big on driving, like, ATVs and different things through the woods because she lived on 95 acres, if I remember correctly. Wow, okay. Yes. Um, By the time I hit my teens, Granny was already in a nursing home. Um, They had just put her in there, if I remember correctly, by the time I hit 13. Mm -hmm. So we would go out there occasionally and stay in her old house. We would see some of my other extended family members. But the big thing that they always said was, quote-unquote, critters lived in the woods, and we just had to be extremely careful. I can even remember my, now I called him my Uncle Coy. He was my grandfather's brother. Um, But he used to say, if you hear anything calling your name out in the woods, 
No, you didn't. Wow. You just ignore it. Yeah. Get yeah. get to stepping out of the woods. Yeah. Um, if you hear anything that sounds like a big animal moving, you need to get back to the vehicle and get back to home. Now, you know, he always said, I never anticipate you being out here by yeah. yourself anyway, but these are things that you need to look out for. What was interesting about him was he was always a big jokester. Like my whole family would probably attest to that. So I just took it as a joke Yeah. when he would say things like that. Now, in hindsight, looking back at how everybody talks about, you know, quote unquote, haunted Appalachia, yeah. there are some really interesting things that happen out there from people saying that when they're walking in the woods, these are grown men, some that will say, I heard my name called on a repetitive yes. basis to the yes. point where... I had to get to Stefan out of the woods. They've heard what they described as like a baby crying. And some of them will even say, like, I've heard little animals, um, you know, from cats being born, you know, different small animals. And when they're born, they often sound like a baby crying. Oh, yeah. They said this was so close to a baby crying and that sound that they actually started to try and look for it. And it would draw them into different areas of the woods. Oh my God. Well, and yeah. I, yeah. And I was, um, and guys, just so you know, the Appalachian Mountains or the Appalachian Trail starts in Maine and ends up in Georgia. That's how long it is. It's very long. So, um, and I know specifically Pennsylvania and West Virginia were logged the most. I think a lot of the states in between were as well, but not like the devastated West Virginia and uh, Pennsylvania. So just to, so you know, um, I tried to do as much research on this as I could. But but yeah, one of the girls said, I think she did like five things that my grandparents told me. When the sun goes down, you go inside. When you hear screams, you go inside as soon as possible. When you're in the woods and you're, you see something out of the corner of your eye, no, you didn't. Also, do not whistle in the woods. It's all of these things, right? And you know, the guy that was kind of debunking a little bit, he said, when you come up on a bear, don't look it in the eyes. When you come up on a mountain lion, do look it in the eyes, do whistle, do make yourself look bigger, even with bears. So it's like, okay, I think some of this stuff is getting you know, uh, watercolored in, uh, is that a good way to say? It? So, um, but I do think there's some strange stuff going on, but I also think, uh, the Appalachian trail or actually the Appalachian area was named after the Appalachian tribe, the native American tribe. Now I'm a big believer in the native American kind of thing going on there where, you know, it was their land before we came and you, you wonder if that has anything to do with it. What do you think? Well, so I think it's interesting. I think, like you said, you know, Appalachia is so big. You can kind of think of it like the mountain version of the ocean. Right. You know, we will never be able to explore every single inch of our ocean. I don't think it's possible. Right. And I think that that's very similar for the Appalachian Mountains and Trail. It is so vast and so sprawling that it's not possible for us to send people to examine every single inch of that land, at least not in our lifetime, I would say. Right. Um, so with that said, I think that there could very well be some animals in the Appalachian Mountains that we think are extinct, that make different sounds that perhaps we're not completely used to, because again, we think that that animal long went extinct long ago. Right. It could be some sort of cross species of an animal that we just don't know exists right. um, because that animal mated with another one. Right. So I agree with you in the sense that I think that there are a lot of physical things that we could explain some of this phenomena away with. And a lot of it, I think, has to do with the fact that the land is just so vast 
And I think if we were able to explore and have the capacity to do that, we would discover some species of animals that we had no clue actually existed in our space. Yeah, no, I totally agree because, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, when you log and you devastate a forest so badly in one or two states, let alone all of them had some logging done, if not devastatedly. But you wonder, okay, so if there were animals that did survive, how did they survive? Did they morph into something else because they had to adapt to that new environment? It's all that kind of stuff too, right? Right. Absolutely. Evolution, the survival of the fittest. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So the videos that I saw of people that literally were like you, they grew up there and now I did hear from this woman, she calls herself, what does she call herself? Let me look up, um, Appalachia Folk Magic Practitioner or a witch. So it's a lot like she does practices like a witch would, but it's specifically for the Appalachian Mountains. And she does talk about, you know, no whistling. You know, if you hear your name, no, you didn't. If you hear something, you know, walk away quickly, don't run, those kinds of things. And she seemed pretty legit. I don't know. I've only seen a few videos of her. But I do think that sometimes just the fact that she's saying this, there's some validity to it, because I do think that she, she showed some videos. And I was like, that's, that doesn't look like it's been tainted. And she grew up there. I'm wondering if it's real, you know, right? What's very fascinating about Appalachia in general is what came out of there. And one thing that's really special, I think, that came out of Appalachia is the granny witches of Appalachia. Um, Yeah, from my understanding, um, and now I think that they were present long before this, but many Irish settlers moved and migrated into the area during the 1800s after the potato famine. And they started forming bonds and relationships with the indigenous of the area. You know, not only the Appalachian tribe, but also um, the Shawnee or another prevalent tribe in that area. So it wasn't all fighting between the settlers. My understanding was they tried to form legitimate friendships and bonds in order to be able to learn how to survive on the land because it was just purely so sprawling and they were out of their element. So Mm -hmm. once they started forming these bonds and friendships, both the Shawnee, you know, all of these different tribes basically started imparting their own wisdom to these relationships that they made. And I think this is a lot of where the granny witches started sprawling and, you know, coming from. You know, A, they didn't have a lot of money to send for a doctor, if at all. Right, right. So they they had to learn how to basically become their own physicians and doctors. Absolutely, Um, yeah. It's, it's an impoverished area. Some of the areas are a little bit impoverished and they did have to come up with their own remedies and their own, you know, ways of healing themselves as opposed to going to maybe a doctor. And a lot of times they were so far away from any doctor that would help them. So I get that. Yeah. Right. They also learned from my understanding a lot of herbalism and how to forage mm. from the indigenous. Mm-hmm. So they learned how to utilize, you know, there wasn't a pharmacy back then with meds that were available, the land was their pharmacy. So they learned how to, you know, basically utilize all of the roots and the plants that were indigenous to the area in order to integrate them into their medical practices. But what was cool about the granny, which is too, they also did kind of their own spiritual and spell work as well. That's very similar to witchcraft. Um, You know, if you do studying on the granny, which is they had their own incantations. 
they would lay curses on people. Um, You know, I think one of the phrases that they would say was, may the devil's hounds lay on your chest until you release this particular family member from your abuse. Oh, wow. So they would, yeah, they would, you know, state intentions and curses to be able to, you know, perform spiritual work. Um, Mm. So I think that it was just basically this spawning off of some of the already present indigenous practices that were present in the area currently. And that just helped them evolve and grow. Right. And guys, that's where we get all this weird stuff going on. Because I tell you, I do think there are some weird things going on in Appalachia and all that area. Because when you take a Native American tribe and another tribe, Shawnee, and then you take these Appalachian witches, I'll just call them that, um, and they all kind of help each other, at least they try. Some of that, you know, if you hear your name, you know, no, you didn't. But when you combine all those things together with those tribes and those witches and, you know, you're hearing whatever you hear in the woods or you're hearing whatever, you wonder if it's kind of like a cryptid thing or, you know, how we, we talked about the Native American skinwalker, where maybe that's a protection thing for indigenous tribes. I don't even know if they have indigenous tribes at all there still. You know, sometimes areas still have their own little compounds or whatever with those peoples there. Do you know anything about that? So I will say I'm not particularly versed in whether or not there's any indigenous reservations kind of still Mm -hmm. present in the land. But I will say that something that uh, like I can hear my own guide saying now in terms of kind of why some of this started to pop up in terms of like supernatural issues within the Appalachian Mountains. Yeah. Number one, they're saying that that land is sacred in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, And specifically, they're saying that very often in like sprawling pieces of nature, it kind of exists with one foot in the veil and one foot out. So it's kind of like this weak spot within the veil, if you will. And very often in those areas, they have this more of an ability basically to have paranormal activity kind of flock to those areas when there's a weak spot. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. The other thing that they're saying is when some of the Irish settlers migrated into the area after the potato famine, they were very heavily, you know, brought up in the culture of the fairy realm and the oh. fae in general. Irish. So, yes. Yeah, so they had a belief in fairies, you know, yeah. point blank. And they carried that into their practices, you know, with their spirituality as well as with the land. The indigenous also taught them, you know, there is a great spirit that we are just the stewards of the land. We are not owners and Mm -hmm. keepers of the land. We are just those that take care of the land, essentially. So we're here just solely to make sure that the land thrives, that it stays in good care and doesn't fall into the wrong hands. Right. No, that's true because, yeah, with fairy and the fae, yeah, absolutely, with the potato famine and then coming from Ireland, I know some was Scottish, Ireland, all of those areas in the U.K., I didn't even think about that until just now. You are so right. And then, but you did talk to me earlier about the Fae. And I do think there's some of that going on too, though. Oh, absolutely. What's interesting is something that's very common with fairy sightings, as well as like high strangeness slash alien type of sightings is something that is a common thing that people tend to experience is hearing a baby crying. Yes. When they experience either a Fae sighting or an alien sighting. I don't entirely know why that is. Um, My personal opinion from what my guides have told me, 
those energies, at least some types of alien energies, I want to clarify there, not all alien has this type of trickster type of energy, but much, much of the Fae has kind of like this ability to toe the line between being a trickster, essentially. Um, And hearing a baby crying in the woods, what's the first thing that you do when you hear a baby crying in a place you shouldn't? Oh, you want to go to it. Yeah, you want to go to it. You want to go look for it. So in old lore, in old fairy lore, they would say, if you went looking for that baby crying, you would be lured into the fae world and possibly never released. Okay, wow. There are also many stories about people going missing, specifically children going missing on the Appalachian Trail. And for those children that were actually found, many of them will recount stories of being found thousands of you know feet in elevation away from where they should have been able to be found it's almost like the mountains take care of them it's almost like the forest like cradles them and takes care of them well the ones that are found anyway right right when we did our story on the granny witches for our podcast there was a story basically of a kid that he was playing hide and seek with his sister Mm -hmm. right next to the campsite that they were at so he was within you know, like a vision of his sister and they decided to go hide behind a bush. And so he was standing literally behind her, hiding behind this bush, hiding from their parents. When she turned around, he wasn't there anymore. Mm. So they went looking for this kid. And he said, once he was found, he was found several miles away at a higher elevation on the mountain than what he should have been able to accomplish himself in the length of time. He said that a man that was covered in hair came and picked him up and carried him to a place that was adjacent to the campsite and that he could see them looking for him, but they couldn't see him and they couldn't hear him. Wow. Do you think that was like a Bigfoot thing? You know, something like that? It it truly sounds like that. I'm a believer that Bigfoot is like an interdimensional interloper, essentially. They just kind of hop in and hop out of this dimension. And that's why we catch sight of him slightly, you know, for a second. And then he steps behind a tree and he's gone. Right. It's like the Loch Ness. I think the same thing about that kind of interdimensional. They kind of come and go within our dimension and someone else's. Right. So it sounds almost like because that kid, you know, kids in general have this ability to kind of see through and into the veil much easier than us adults do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think for that brief second, he stepped into a different dimension and that Bigfoot entity basically carried him further into that dimension and then eventually let him go. That is crazy. Well, thank goodness he let him go because I know there have been kids that have gone missing and they don't find him again. Yeah, they don't find them again. Or when they do find them, I remember several stories of basically, and now granted guys, playing devil's advocate, this could have been a very large animal oh, grabbing sure. a hold of this little kid and carrying them to a higher elevation. Sure, sure. But, you know, tons of stories of kids being found at the tops of mountain peaks that they should not have been able to, climb. you know, yeah. basically be able to climb on their own. You know, and like two and three year old kids that yeah. eventually found their way up here. And several of them that actually lived through the experience said, you know, so and so, I saw this lady come and take my hand and she led me up to this path. And, you know, like there's definitely a spiritual nature to some of these disappearances for sure. Absolutely. And like some of the things that I heard them say that they saw, um, of course, they see cryptids, you know, or, or skinwalkers, those kinds of things. They also see the Fae. That's another person said they swear they saw fairies. You know, they don't look like the pretty little tinkerbells. They look like little flying bodies um, and they're tiny. And then one person said specifically in Appalachia, there's these devil monkeys. Have you heard of devil monkeys? 
I have. Oh, I have no <laughs> I idea. Have. Okay. What I the heck have. is that? So they theorize that there are actual physical certain types of species of monkeys that actually exist in the Appalachia. Now, I think that some of them believe that they're like spirits of monkeys. Okay. Um, okay. So I will say I saw a documentary. Um, I think it was called Missing 411, um, but it was on Amazon. It was a couple years ago. Okay. And they interviewed this lady that was hunting in the Appalachian mountains and woods she was hunting in like this deer stand she was holding her rifle across her lap and she said she has never seen anything like this before and not since Mm. she looked over at the tree next to her and could see what looked like the branches moving like something was jumping through the branches she happened to catch sight of what looks like you know like the old tv static and tv snow that would pop up on the tv after the broadcasting would go off back in the deck it looked like a big, like a mass almost of old TV snow jumped from one tree branch to the other what? and then jumped to a completely different tree. She said it just looked like this big mass of static jumping oh from tree gosh. to tree. She said she had such a feeling of doom wash over her, mm. like whatever she was looking at, she should not be seeing mm. that she immediately jumped from that stand and hightailed it home. She took pictures of it and she had pictures of it. So I personally, I think that it's a spiritual energy that they're seeing and not physical monkeys, but who's to say, right? (laughs) No, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, first of all, you've got all the devastation to a lot of the states, you know, the the logging devastation. And then you've got animals that are trying to survive. Maybe they could start coming back, whatever. But that's also Native American land. And now you're messing with them. Then you get people from the UK or at least parts of areas of Europe that come in from potato famine, from Scotland, from Ireland, all those that have all this folklore. Then you have people that practice Appalachian witchcraft, whatever you want to call it. And you combine all that together. And then you also have them working together. Yeah, I can understand why there might be some weird crap going on there. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Right? Because I don't think it's all explainable. I mean, I, I, you know, yes, I do think that the animals were devastated and they had to learn to come back. I think some animals, maybe they didn't know survived and they became a different kind of animal. But I also just think that people make curses and people also, you and I even protect our homes and our, ourselves sometimes. So you can only imagine the kind of protection a Native American or a witch or whatever would do to protect themselves. What's the scariest thing? A devil monkey. That would be very scary for someone. And even if they didn't see the devil monkey, they might see something else. So there you go. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's interesting because before I knew about devil monkeys, my husband and I were out of town for a trip and we were walking through, um, like taking our dogs on a walk through this little stretch of woods that we were unfamiliar with. And I started getting this feeling of doom almost. And I don't get that feeling very often. And when I started to look up in the trees, my guides literally told me it's the only time they've ever said this. They said, don't look up in the trees. Oh, yeah. I've and heard I thought, that. Yes. okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. And after I asked them basically what was going on, they said there was some sort of lower vibrational fey energy that was up in those trees mm. watching us take that walk. And I, for some reason, I don't, I'm not sure why, I did not need to make eye contact with whatever was up in those trees. Absolutely not. You know, I interviewed a fairy expert. She actually lives close to um, Sherwood Forest. And I asked her about the fairies and she said, 
you know, they're absolutely real and she can communicate with them. And I just was so enamored with her that, that she could do that. And I asked her questions about the Fae and she said, yeah, some of them just want to help and, and they want to be there to know that you're protecting their place and they, they reward you, meaning the tree growth, you know, the goodness of the land. But then there are other things that know when you're not taking care of it. And I don't know if that's more of a gin thing. I don't even know what gin are. Are they part of the Fae? The jinn were basically, so they're from Arabic culture. Oh. Um, the jinn were perceived as like genies, essentially. Oh. So if anybody's ever seen like Aladdin with the blue genie yes. that was in the movie, that is technically a jinn, according to Arabic culture. Um, they were basically in the beginning, from my understanding, they were the stewards and keepers of the earth. The jinn were. Okay. And now I'm not entirely completely well-versed in the mythology of how all this came about, but my understanding was when King Solomon took the throne, God gave him what was called Solomon's seals. And Mm -hmm. it was basically a sigil, a symbol Mm -hmm. that gave him dominion over the jinn. Oh, wow. So King Solomon decided that he would enslave the jinn and force them to build the Tower of Solomon, or it was either the Tower Tower of Solomon or the Tower of Bethel. Okay. But he basically enslaved the race of jinn and made them these lower vibrational slaves, Yikes. essentially. So my understanding was the jinn have always kind of been these stewards of the earth slash trickster entities. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this, you know, hypothesis that are aliens really aliens or are they jinn? Are ghosts really ghosts or are they just the jinn? Really? Um, who is to say? Yes, that they say that basically, you know, they were shapeshifters that could shape shift into pretty much anything. Wow. So are ghosts really ghosts? Are they really jinn? Who's to say? Wow. And you know, it's funny because, you know, we have the property out in Bowie and, you know, we have 35 acres out there. But isn't it fair to say that most any area that has a lot of woods and some land, isn't there always some kind of spirit kind of thing, even if it's just spirits that are following you around because, you know, we're all like walking cemeteries for our loved ones. You know what I mean? Right, right. I think that that's absolutely correct. I think that, you know, there's always protector spirits that are there to protect the land. There's always usually a spirit that protects the house as well in some capacity. So there are guardians and spirit kind of all around us at any given time, just usually kind of where they protect. Um, but especially if you've got sprawling land on your property, there are guardians of that land. And usually a lot of them are the fae. Yeah. And it's funny because the uh, fae expert or the fairy expert that I had on, she goes, you know, you can just talk to them. Just say, hey, listen, thank you for being here. I'm going to do my best to keep it pretty and nice for you. And um, will you please help protect it? Because we had that big firing back in 2009, lost everything. It looked like a bomb went off and our barn was the, the only thing that survived it and a truck because my husband kept it mowed. Now we have a house out there and people were like, do you not have like bushes around your house? No, we have rock around the house. We had pebbles because my husband's so, you know, afraid it's going to happen again, you know, which that was the first time in 50 years that it even happened. So it doesn't happen often. But, you know, after that, I asked her and she goes, no, just have a conversation with them and ask them to protect you and protect the land. She goes, you be good to them. They'll be good to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's exactly right. Yeah. If you have a healthy respect for the land that you live on and you are truly a steward of that land, you do the best that you can to mm-hmm. take care of that land and that stretch of nature. 
that they absolutely recognize that and know that your intentions are pure in that way. Right. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we even feed the deer. We have a deer feeder. We just feed the deer because we like looking at them. And we, we, we stock the pond with like catfish and perch and we feed the catfish and perch. My son will go out there and catch them, put them right back. So he just has fun catching them. We don't hurt them. And I wonder if that also includes being kind to the animals for the fairies as well. Do you think? Absolutely. Um, You know, it's interesting. I have family that have, you know, big farms and hunt. And anytime I'm present when they hunt, which isn't very often, but when they do, I love to go over to that animal and watch them process that animal and say a prayer, basically. I'll usually thank that animal. Thank you for your life. Thank you for giving your life. You know, we're going to use every part of you so that we can honor you appropriately. You make a good point because at first people were like, you don't shoot the animals and we do have guns to shoot them. We don't particularly do it, but we don't have a problem with people do because honestly, the deer population in in Texas is overwhelmingly crazy. We're doing them a favor by taking a few of them out, but that's just not our thing. We don't do that. But I totally get what you're saying that you go in and you bless them and say, thank you so much for giving your life. Thank you so much for nourishing us so that we can continue taking care of the land or whatever, because that's what a lot of people eat out there. You know, they're hunters out there. And if they don't have cattle or whatever, they'll they'll shoot a couple deer because there's a ton of big deer out there. And they're beautiful and majestic, but there's a lot of them. So in that way, I think it's very helpful, but we're just not hunters. But I've got a lot of respect for people that do either or, so it's fine. So what is your conclusion on the whole Appalachia thing? Do you think it's a little bit of everything or what do you think? I think there's a couple of things going on. I think that because it's so sprawling, there are probably species of animals out there that A, the locals don't know are really out there. Um, And if they do, they don't have a complete picture of how big that population of animals are. Um, I think that there are probably animals out there that we have long thought that are extinct or we don't even know they're an actual species. Um, You know, if you remember, they're still discovering species of, you know, aquatic animals in the ocean. Yes. So I think that that's part of it. I think that there are some, you know, animals out there that we don't even know exist because there is no reference for that because, you know, that land is so sprawling. We may not ever see that particular animal face to face. We might just hear it. I think some of this supernatural component in terms of like people hearing their names called, hearing babies crying that sounds like actual babies. I think that that has a fey component to it. You know, the whistling in the woods Mm -hmm. as well. I think that that also could also be tied to the fey. It's basically like these sounds that are trying to draw you into the woods. As opposed to you being able to exit. And I think that that definitely could be the fae and some sort of trickster type of energy. Yeah, I also think that the veil is just super thin in the mountains, especially in Kentucky, West Virginia. These seem to be like almost like window areas where the veil is extremely thin. Like if you hear people talk about West Virginia, Kentucky specifically, these have some really high strangeness type of activities coming out of these two states specifically on a consistent basis. They do. From alien sightings, from cryptid sightings, the list is long and it goes on and on and on. If you guys want to look into that further, watch the documentary Hellier on Amazon. It's fascinating. Yes, it is. And I also think that just the folklore alone People like to believe it too, you know, and I'm not saying it's not true at all. And, you know, I can't prove any of it. All I can say is some people really, you know, if nothing else, it's dangerous in woods anyway, because it's so easy to get lost in woods. So it could have even started out as don't go deep in the woods. If you hear something bad, 
you didn't come home. Um, if you see something, you didn't come home, <laughs> you know, because it was almost a protection thing. But I do think there's some strange stuff going on, especially with the combination of all the things we've talked about. So anyway, I know you have to go, Christina. So I want you to tell all my listeners where to find you guys. She's a fantastic psychic medium. Uh, she also does Reiki. She's a teacher. She has so many amazing things that she can offer you guys. And if you ever want to read from her, I'm telling you book now because she gets booked up really fast. So I'm just going to give the mic to you and you just tell us where to find you. Thank you. If y'all go to my website, it's christinathemedium.com. You can find my services there. I do meet your spirit guide sessions. Uh, we do distance Reiki sessions, Reiki certification classes, um, spirit chats for mentorship and spiritual mentorship to start learning how to harness your own gift. And then I do remote Reiki home cleansings as well. They're all listed on my website. Nice. Guys, you know me, I'll put it all on my show notes because Christina, as usual, and I'm so glad we got to do this. This is a long time coming. You have been fantastic. I love talking about this kind of stuff. It's so interesting to me. And I love kind of putting every spin on it we can so that it's not just one thing. We can kind of think outside the box too. So again, thank you so much for being on my show. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I think it's so important, you know, with the spiritual stuff to be able to kind of firmly keep your feet grounded in reality as well. And I think that Appalachia definitely has both spiritual as well as some actual, you know, normal physical things going on there. So I think this is an important show and topic to talk about. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And thanks for coming again. Thank you. <laughs> well, I love providing because I want to know at no cost. So if you like what you heard, please leave me a five-star review or you can just buy me a cup of coffee. It's kind of like a Patreon, but you don't have a monthly subscription and you can give whatever you feel led to give. I am a one-woman show and I do all of my scheduling and my interviewing and my editing. So just know your support is so greatly appreciated. And one more thing, I am a paranormal romance novelist and you can find all of my books on Amazon. Just look up my name. I'm very easy to find. Thank you guys again. Again, and I will see you next week.